Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this glorious Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. Aren't we thankful today that God has been merciful to us? Amen? The Bible tells us that His mercies are new every morning. And this morning is no different. He's offered us today His grace, His kindness, His forgiveness, His love. And He's also offered us His righteousness. Philippians chapter 3 says, I don't want to be found in Christ having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but I want to have that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We know that that comes only by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? Amen. That it is only by the Holy Spirit coming and cleansing us from our sins and uh, calling us unto Him that we can be changed. King David talked about this in Psalm chapter 25 when he said, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee, and let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed, and let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, and teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, and therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek he will guide in judgment, and the meek... He will teach His way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What is man that he fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell in ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distress. Look upon my affliction and my pain, and forgive my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me 
with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let not me be ashamed for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. Let us pray today as God brings us into this place of worship together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for bringing us here, for calling us by your name. Lord, for seating us in heavenly places. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that you would forgive our sins, that you would cleanse us from our unrighteousness, that you would feed us from heaven, that you would change us, that we might be more like you today. Lord, that when we leave this place, we would not leave the way we came in, but we would leave different. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... Come on up and join me up here on the platform. Um, we at Foundation Church are so very honored to have Brother Mark Hamilton. Uh, did they call you Pastor Hamilton? or They just, they just call him Mark. Uh, and we're very thankful to have his wife with him today. Um, and I won't make him stand up here too long because he's trying to pretend like he's getting old and he can't stand up too long. Uh, but you know, in Christ you don't have very many people who are willing to take time with younger men and to disciple them and to teach them and to help them. And Brother Mark might be surprised to learn that uh, you have done probably as much of that in my life as most people have ever done. Um, And oftentimes we think, well, what did I even do? You know? And So anyway, Brother Mark has meant a lot to me. Several very pivotal moments God has used him in my life. And I'm very thankful for him. Very honored to have him in my pulpit. Please receive him as he brings us the word of God. Good morning and I greet you on behalf of the saints at Providence Church. Providence is up in Mifflin, Ohio, which is between Ashland and Mansfield. Uh, We have a small uh, family-integrated Reformed church there that's been going quite a few years. And and Mark and I made an acquaintance with one another ten years ago. And let me tell you this little story. I told it when they were up uh, in Mansfield a few months ago. Mark and I met at a restaurant for the first time, not knowing each other, and sort of going in the restaurant and saying, now who is who, and we'll... We'll try to meet one another and find one another as we had been told of each other's existence by some people that Mark met while I was ill. And so we get together here and we decide to meet in Delaware, which is between the two places. And uh, so each of us are dropped off at this fast food restaurant by our wives. Okay? So we get in there and we meet each other. We discover later then, uh, intriguingly, that what do wives do when they drop off their husbands in a different town, okay? Well, of course what they do is they go to the nearest second-hand store, okay? Especially these are homeschooling, family-integrated, church mothers, uh, wives of pastors, and so forth. And so, of all things, 
our wives run into each other at the second-hand store while we're meeting each other in the fast food place. So right away we knew we had the same values. (laughs) So anyway, it's been a dear 10 years getting to know um, the Robinette family. But I also send greetings. It's joy here this morning to uh, see some of the other men that I've met over the years and their families. There's Jeff and there's Luke. I saw Luke outside and saw him in here and his dear family. Seeing Tim, meeting Jonathan three years ago. We knew Ashley when she was single. See Bonita, uh, and I'm sure I'm leaving out some of the... And of course, Andy. Uh, the last time I was down here was when... we And I got to know Andy on that occasion a little more because it was when one of the times when Mark was overseas three or four years ago. So I send you greetings and, and dear love from the saints at at Providence, and uh, hopefully over the coming years you'll get to know some of some of them a little better. I, I know you know some of them well, and and others that are new. Uh, uh, the Foises, where are the Foises? Are they here today? Oh yes, yeah. I've gotten to know them on the internet. I haven't met the Foises yet, but they're on Facebook. Okay, so we've become acquaintances, so to speak. So. Uh, that's that's a, a neat opportunity. Please join me in prayer as we begin. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would open your word for us today in ways that we might see the mysteries of God, that our hearts would be blessed, and that most of all, our love for Jesus would be increased. Today we pray joyfully and gratefully in his most holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen. I remember when I was being discipled as about an 18 or 19 year old. One of the things that one of my friends did with me is he took me verse by verse through the book of Romans. I think you have to understand the book of Romans to understand what God has done in our lives. And it is a beautifully ordered book. It's so well ordered that in the early American found among the founding fathers in early America, you know that in law schools in America they used the Book of Romans. They taught the Book of Romans in law school because it had set forth the arguments of Paul so succinctly and so clearly and so methodically. And so that here these law students could study the Book of Romans and know how to build and create a beautiful argument. So Paul takes us through Romans and he tells us clearly that everybody has knowledge of God. He tells us that the the Gentiles all know God through nature and through that which has been revealed to them. That all the Jews know God through the law that has been given to them and through the conscience so that every man is without excuse. Then he tells us in in chapter 4 how clearly and succinctly he has forgiven us and justified us and provides examples of that in Abraham and David. Finally then he comes to chapter 5. And that's what we want to look at for a little bit today. Because at that understanding, at that time in my life, my understanding was this. We all violate God's law and therefore we're all sinners. But I didn't understand at that time until that brother sat down with me that in chapter 5 of Romans, Paul doesn't talk about sins, but he talks about sin. And he makes this clear distinction between sins 
the violations of the law of God that each of us do on a daily basis, and the nature or principle of sin itself. And so today, let's look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. A very, very clear verse that should shake our, our, our traditional understanding if we don't understand what he means by sin here. You see, what Paul is putting forth here is an argument. An argument that sin is a principle. That sin is ingrained in a nature of a person. That here he's saying sin entered into the world. Sin entered because of sins. But sin became a principle that now abided in man. It was in Adam at that point. And it is very important to understand and know here that this alludes to the historicity of the book of Genesis. If you do not believe that Genesis is actual history, then we might as well throw out the book of Romans too. Because the foundation of Romans is found in the historic nature of one man, Adam, who sinned. And how the sin of Adam was imputed to you. How it was counted against you. That what Adam did, this solitary man in this garden, that what he did when he defied God became the most important thing in your life at one point. Until something more important happened. But that the sin principle that now abided in Adam became inherited by you. The sin of Adam was passed into humanity at this point. It was like a nasty infection that could not be gotten rid of. It was an infection that was to be passed down to all of Adam's children and their children and their children and their children, all because of what Adam did. And you are the beneficiaries of that. It is what it means to be in Adam. And what it means in Adam is that the promises given to Adam are inherited by you. And what was the promise that we read about earlier this morning? When we read Genesis 3, the promise was this. Adam, if you eat, you will die. Adam ate, and Adam died. And because of that, you are born spiritually dead. It is counted against you what Adam did. And now we find that physical death, spiritual death, and and potentially eternal death are all given to the whole human race. It is a change of the nature or the constitution of humanity because of what Adam did. This is judicial. In other words, it was declared by the judge that this would be so. A judge with ultimate authority. And so, our first response to this is, 
That isn't fair. How can we be guilty for what Adam did? Well, God has a notion or an understanding that we could call federalism. Or the concept of a federal head. An authoritative head. A a sense in which one person acts as a a representative of others. Now, we should know what it means to have a representative. We have a form of government where we elect people who act on our behalf. And so when our congressmen and our senators vote on various issues, they are acting on our behalf. They are representing me. Sometimes they do it well, and sometimes we're pretty discouraged with how they act for us. But Adam was your representative. He was your federal head. And when Adam disobeyed God, the promise became a promise given to him and to everybody who was in Adam. Everybody for whom Adam was the representative. So one person acted on behalf of all the rest. And unfortunately, Adam represented you worse than any other politician in world history has ever represented you. He was the worst representative we have and ultimately our own minds should think we wouldn't have done any better. Now, this is a foreign idea that somebody represents you on your behalf, but it is clearly biblical. Let me just show you one passage that's really unique to describe this idea of someone being a federal head. In Hebrews chapter 7, beginning with verse 8. In the book of Hebrews 7, 8. In the case mortal men receive tithes, but in that case one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What's that describing is how Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And now it describes a little later how Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek, even though Melchizedek was no longer around when Levi paid the tithes. How was it that Levi paid the tithes to Melchizedek? The passage is stating that when Abraham paid the tithe to Melchizedek, he did it also on behalf of his children and his children's children. So Levi paid the tithe to Melchizedek generations after Abraham had already done so because Levi had done so in Abraham. Abraham was his representative his federal head, so to speak. And so we see this as a concept that God uses fairly regularly in Scripture, but most importantly, for your condemnation and ultimately for your salvation. So looking back to Romans chapter 5, the passage teaches us that all have sinned, But not all have sinned in the same way. Because some 
had sinned even though they had not yet been born. Many others would die possibly even in infancy because before they could ever commit any conscious sin of their own. So Paul must be meaning that when Adam sinned, God considered it in God's understanding the way God had declared it that all men sinned in Adam. So judicially in Adam all sinned and the penalty of death was judicially given to you and me because of Adam's sin. Adam represented us and when he fell, you fell. I fell. So this is our first of three imputations. The first of credit given to one another. And that is that Adam's sin was counted against you and me. It was credited to you. It was credited to me. And so when God looks at you and God looks at me, what does he see? He sees the sin of Adam imputed to us. And as a result of that, we are declared to be dead. Because there is a principle in Scripture called the principle of sin and death. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the wages of sin? The wages of sin have always, has always been death. So Adam was promised that if he sinned, he would die. He sinned, he died. You are in Adam. You sin in Adam. You die. It's the judgment. It's judicial justice. The justice of God. And in verse 13 and 14 of Romans 5, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now we're free. Ah, it doesn't count. Or at least it doesn't count. Here might be the counter argument. It doesn't count against us because there was no law from Adam to Moses. And so the person who countered Paul would say, oh, we're not under judgment from, from Adam to Moses because there's no law. And so, but, verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. The law comes in in Moses. We know that sin is violation of the moral law of God. We know that the wages of that is death. But here between Adam and Moses, there's no law, so there shouldn't be any death. But we do know this from experience. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's sin, Adam's offense. Even though we had not sinned between Adam and Moses in the same way that Adam sinned, because Adam sinned with full knowledge of the law of God. If you eat, you will die. Those folks till Moses didn't have such a clear understanding of the law. But Paul's already told us that you're guilty even if you don't have the moral law of God because we have knowledge of God through nature and through conscience. So there is a moral law that you know apart from the Ten Commandments. And that is through nature. Nature is moral. And through conscience. 
Romans 2, 14 and 15 teach about conscience. And so he describes here that death was, that the law was written on the hearts of men. It had not yet been made manifest, meaning those living could not sin in the same likeness of the manner of the sin of Adam. But Adam, in verse 14 then, was a type of the one who was to come. What we need to understand was this ends the first imputation. But let's look at the second and third that are much more important for us, okay? And before we move out of, or since we're going to move out of Romans for just a minute, but we'll come back to it. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 17. You know this to be the wonderful, magnificent, high priestly prayer of Jesus. He prays to the Father. You know, sometimes when you pray, you're meant to pray and pray silently and the prayer isn't recorded. It's fascinating here that we have this wonderful prayer by Jesus that is recorded. And meant for us to be understood and to read the prayer of Jesus. So in verse... Let's start in verse 3 as Jesus prays. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now, look closely at verse 4. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. So Jesus reminds the Father, the Father already knows this, but in his prayer, he reminds the Father... I have done what you wanted me to do. And what was that? It was primarily to obey the Father. Theologically, we would call this the active obedience of Jesus. The active obedience of Jesus is that Jesus was a man born under the law and obeyed the law entirely, completely, And at this point, his work as a man on earth in terms of the obedience to the law is done. He's reminding the Father that I have glorified you, Father. I have always glorified you in everything that I've done here on earth. I have glorified you, Father, by my obedience, my obedience to the law in every sense. Completely done so. And now he's saying, Father, there's one step left before it's entirely finished. I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to the cross. I know that this is the end. Father, now it's your turn to glorify me as I've glorified you. I've glorified you with my life. Not just in the miracles, not just in the love and friendship, but my obedience to the law, entirely and perfectly, his moral obedience or his active obedience. Now it's time for his passive obedience. The passive obedience is that he will let evil men crucify him. And now he can no longer glorify himself. He has glorified the Father through his life. It is now the time for the Father to glorify him. And so he will go to the cross, let evil men crucify him, and let the Father glorify him. 
And so I, he says, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. Now glorify me together with thyself. Father, with the glory which I ever had with thee before the world was. So glorify me as I was when I was in the heavens. Glorify me on the cross in such a manner. In this situation here, we find the active obedience of Jesus. By his active obedience, we mean that his willing submission and obedience unto perfect, complete fulfilling of every law of God. That any of the saints would ever be obliged to do, Jesus did them. He completed them in their fullness. Okay. From circumcision to the shed blood on the cross, he obeyed the Father. He obeyed the law. And what does that mean? It means he is the second Adam who is undeserving of death. Why? This law of sin and death. Where you sin, you die. But sin is not imputed to Jesus because he is the second Adam. And as the second Adam, he completes and finishes what the first Adam failed. He is the one who is actively obedient to the Father. He fulfills the law perfectly. Or let's under the New Testament put it this way. Have you ever loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Obviously not. Well, Jesus did. Jesus did. And that's the fulfillment of the law. And so, going back now to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5. Let's jump down to verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, the perfect obedience of Jesus, his perfect active obedience, there resulted justification of life to all men, to all who would believe. Men from every nation would then be justified. For as through the one man's disobedience, The many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The obedientia of Christ fulfills the covenant breaking of the law that the first Adam failed to uphold. Where the first Adam failed as a covenant breaker, the second Adam succeeds in perfectly fulfilling the demands of the covenant by his active and passive obedience. One of the great heroes of the faith in the 20th century, G. Gresham Machen, Machen who was one of the founders of Westminster Seminary, in 1937 was on his deathbed. And he sent a telegram while on his deathbed to his close friend John Murray and the telegram read this I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ no hope without it no hope without it 
the active obedience of Christ. Look, we're great at talking about the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus paid the debt for my sins. But generally we are speaking about the passive obedience of Jesus. We're talking about His going to the cross and dying for my sins. And as such, He is our substitute. He dies where we should be. The cross is where you and I belong. So He suffered the death that we deserved. And on the cross, all our sins were laid upon Him. He is the sin-bearer punished in our place. In fact... The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the core of the gospel. We understand that and we know that. Peter wrote, he he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. We don't have to have that explained to us. He was pierced through for our transgressions, says Isaiah. Crushed for our iniquities. And by his wounds you have been healed. This is due to the passive obedience of Christ. Our sins are covered. He died for us. Our sins were imputed to him. And so the first imputation is this. The Adam's sin was imputed to you and me. The second one is this. Our sins are imputed on Jesus on the cross. That we know, that we understand, that we live by. That's the gospel. He died for my sins. My sins were placed upon Jesus. But that's only half the story. Christ died for our sins, but he lived for our righteousness. Not only did he die an atoning death, he also lived a sinless life that perfectly fulfilled the righteous standards of the law. His active obedience needs to be emphasized. If all that was needed for our justification was for Jesus to die on the cross, he could have parachuted out of heaven on Good Friday and that would have been enough. But he did not deserve death because of his sinless life. And so Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. And so this morning, let's think about the third imputation. That we are given the righteousness of Jesus. Sinners don't just need the removal of sin. We don't just need to have our sins forgiven. We need the presence of something positive. We need full and complete righteousness. In order to stand before a holy and good God. So when we believed, we were not just justified and nobody loves to preach more about justification by faith alone than I do we were justified by faith 
once and for all, justified by faith alone. But we also receive his righteousness. The very righteousness of Jesus that he achieved through his obedience by obeying every jot and tittle of the law came upon us. His righteousness is my righteousness. I know that this church loves to memorize scripture. I have a favorite verse for you to memorize. Although I bet a number of you already know. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Woo! That should chill our bones. Jerry Bridges called this the great exchange. The great exchange. He took our sins and placed them on Jesus and he took the righteousness of Jesus and placed it on me. There's nothing more moving, nothing more amazing, nothing more stirring. He didn't just do this. He did this. He exchanged my sins for his righteousness. That's double imputation, but I think we have to think of the third imputation of Adam. So that Adam's imputation is taken care of. The great accuser says, ah, but you're in Adam. And our response is, ah, no, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. My sins are forgiven, and I have the righteousness of Jesus. We are given, first of all, Adam's sin and death. But our sin is imputed to Jesus. And his righteousness is imputed to us. Romans 5, 18 and 19 describe that so clearly. And then verse 20, And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, sin conquered us. Sin conquered humanity through Adam. And sin and death reigned in humanity. Ah, but grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin versus righteousness. Death versus life. Which will we choose? Obviously, the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the enemies of God, Jesus came and rescued us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your double imputation. That you took our sins upon us to the cross and nailed them to the cross. Meanwhile, transferring and imputing to us, counting it to our credit, your righteousness. So that when the Father looks at us, he sees you. 
Oh Lord, how undeserving we are and how thankful we are this morning that we have life in Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, Brother Mark was talking about how we hear certain accusations and we say, not fair. And brother, this is not fair. <laughs> you, you got what I'm saying? Kind of reminds me of I give little Liam a dollar and then I trade him a million dollars for the dollar I gave him. Not fair. Not fair. God has given us all things. Amen? Amen. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing to be in my church and hear the word of God preached and I'm not preaching it. What a wonderful thing to think about Christ and his obedience and what he did. We oftentimes do think about the sacrifice. We think about our sins being paid for. And we forget about the great gift that we've been given of the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. What a beautiful thing to be reminded of today. Thank you, brother. Thank you. May we ruminate on this. May we think about it today. May this be our thoughts. I'm going to be thinking about thinking about it a lot today. Um, I think a lot of us want to be good. And I think we can rest in the fact that's been taken care of. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Lord,